You are listening to College Success Habits with Jesse Mogul, episode 160. Let's get to the show. Oh, this show's the best. The best show. Best show. Best show ever. Welcome to the College Success Habits podcast. Do you want to triumph through school and have a little fun along the way? Learn habits to help you attain better productivity and hacks to help you slide through classes at any age. Here's your host, college circuit speaker, Jesse Mogul. Welcome back to College Success Habits. I am your host, Jesse Mogul, and as always, it is an honor and a privilege to have you here. How are you doing? Really? How are you doing? Really feel into that question. How are you doing? The semester is coming to an end for many of you, or already as, depending on how your school does your terms. Just had Thanksgiving for those of you who are in the United States of America. For the rest of you, you have had some level of holiday. Certainly, um, there are a lot of various holidays that celebrate in the month of December, whether it's Christmas or Kwanzaa or Hanukkah. There are a lot of various cultures having experiences over the next month that will draw you all nearer and closer to your friends and your family, or it could conversely leave you feeling isolated and alone if you don't have some of those things in your life. So I would encourage you all to reach out to those that you can, that you desire to be closer to. Uh, Don't just sit there locked away in your own mind or in your own actual room, uh, isolating yourself, lacking connection in a time when so many people um, have experienced that for the last few years. And we know what it's like to feel alone, to feel lonely and want a conduit, a way out of that, and then to not necessarily look around and feel like you have it. So if you don't feel that you have it, then I would encourage you to find one person, someone in your life who has shown you the ability to support you at your most vulnerablest and reach out and make sure that you figure out a way to feel included. Because this is the time of the year when depression and sadness can often kick in because of that lack of the significance in somebody else's life or connection. And for those of you in the Northern Hemisphere, then you are certainly starting to feel the cold weather chill Um, For those of you in the Southern Hemisphere, I couldn't even imagine what it would be like to have Christmas when it's 85 degrees out. (laughs) Although I guess California did give me that. But it's different. At least we know it's winter. There, it's definitely summer. Speaking of winter, my voice is a little bit uh, fried out. Got some congestion. Got a sore throat. I'll be pausing this recording frequently to sneeze or cough or try to not make my throat feel so itchy. So if it feels a little choppy, I do hope that I can remedy that by remembering where I left off and not making it so obvious that I've hit pause. That being said, sweet little preframe to let you know, I'm going to be pausing it quite frequently. Um, today, what I want to talk about is um, stigmatizing language. And we're going to call this stigma part one. Um, if I can do it, so can you. And at least that's what I think I'm going to call it. We'll see what it ends up showing up as once I upload it. One of the reasons why I feel compelled to do an episode about this is that I hear people from time to time say things like, well, I did, you know, I was able to do this, so why can't you? Or, well, I did it, so you can too. 
Um, you know, I had this kind of childhood. You had that kind of childhood. What's your problem? Uh, well, if others have had it worse, what are you complaining about? Um, it's not like um, when I was a kid, I did that and I turned out just fine. They had a great childhood. What's their problem? Uh, when I was a kid, we had it way worse. Oh, yeah? Well, this is what happened to me. Maybe you should stop complaining all the time and then just do something about it. They don't even know what a hard childhood was like. They have it so much better than I did. I hear this kind of language patterns from people frequently because I've attuned myself to notice it. One of the reasons is that I believe when we say this stuff, there's a a lot of minimizing and deletion going on, and we're going to get into that. Where this recently showed up very strangely in two different places within like 10 minutes of each other, I was talking fantasy football with one of my boys, and he made a comment. He's like, well, you know, this running back was able to do this, so this other one's way better. He should be able to do even better than the other one did. And then we let the week play out, and we got to the weekend, and the other one, you know, the running back A did not do as good as running back B had done against the same team a week prior. And he's like, I just don't get it. You know, he should have been able to do better. He's better. And I just remember there's a lot of judgment going on in that sentence. And as we it turned into a great conversation about just because one running back could do it doesn't mean the other one automatically will regardless of talent level, because there's, there's gamemanship, there's the quarterback, there's the line, there's gameplay, there's weather, there's the crowd, the home field advantage, the away advantage or disadvantage. There are so many different factors that come into play that simply just taking one running back and putting in, putting in another one doesn't work. It's not, it's not apples to apples. It's a complete different team with different coaches and game plans. And somewhere else I noticed it is I had a, recently had a family member say something to the effect of, well, I know there's a lot of single grandparents out there and they're able to do this just fine. So what am I complaining about? And I noticed that within that statement, it was almost like this this family member wasn't allowing themselves to feel that some credit was due for the situation that her life is currently in and the amount of, of help that she's currently offering family members that's taking away from her own life. She has her own life, her own dreams, her own vision for what she wants to be seeing things um, having happen. And that's not currently the situation that she finds herself in. And she's giving up a lot of herself, breaking through a lot of her um, in an undesirable way through boundaries that she would like to be able to establish and hold tight to. And that's not the way it's playing out. And then she's going off and saying things like, well, other grandparents are having it this bad or that bad, and she's doing this comparative deletion is what we call it, where you're comparing yourself to someone, but you're deleting out so many things that don't actually make it a viable comparison. And that's what this episode really is going to be about, is this comparative deletion, where we go to compare, but we're deleting a ton of things. One of the things um, that has been happening regardless of whether I want it to or not, is that when I go to the gym, there's this TV bank that they have. And if you've ever been to a gym, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, it's sports bars have it too, where it's just like a huge row of televisions in front of all of the, um, all of the treadmills. And I work out at a place called Planet Fitness. Um, it's the nearest gym to me. And it, while I'm not exactly thrilled with everything they have to offer, it's certainly better than driving another 20 minutes to go somewhere that's got like three other machines I would prefer to be able to have access to. It doesn't make any sense. I make it happen. They have this whole row of televisions. It's like 15 of them in a row. 
Another pause there in case you didn't notice it. I shouldn't have probably told you, but I paused it. Um, There is this bank of televisions. And so next to each other, they have Fox and CNN. And it's very interesting watching the different ways that these two networks will talk about the exact same story. And they use a lot of adjectives where it, it goes away from just reporting the news to now it's, it's, it's trying to instigate a certain emotion in you. It'll be like, you know, um, this politician quickly rushed this to the floor when what really happened was a politician brought a bill to the floor. That's what occurred. But this politician rushed a bill quickly to the floor, makes it rushed and quickly. What kind of picture do you have in your head if somebody were to say, I rushed that homework over to the teacher quickly? It wouldn't exactly make someone or even yourself think that you put a lot of effort into it. It's like, well, I had a, a, you know, I, I quickly finished the homework and rushed it over to the teacher makes it sound like you half-assed did it. But this is the way that these news channels will comparative delete. They will use a comparison model, right? but they'll delete out important information. Or in this particular instance, they will use words that will instigate somebody having a particular um, visceral, emotional thought reaction toward it. And the other day, they're talking about white privilege. Now, for those of you who have not noticed um, any of the pictures of me on social media or ever gone to my website or anything, I'm a tall, straight, white American male. I'm, a, I'm what I, I've affectionately labeled myself a T-SWAM. It actually came from a Pearl Jam song where he sings a song called White Male American. And I'm like, well, you know, you can be white male American, but, you know, being tall is another way that people think that I have privilege. And and certainly being straight and not being gay is another way people could assume I have privilege. So I'm like, let's just throw all of the words in there. And when these two networks were discussing privilege around white privilege, what I noticed was that, one... The, the stations completely framed it so differently. But two, that they both were comparatively using a comparison model, but they were deleting valuable information. And that's what leads us to this episode. When we go and think that because someone's white or black or Asian or tall or straight or gay or lesbian or transgender, any of these, any of these different adjectives we can use to single ourselves out, to create a click within a click, to create an association within a, a larger group of people. When we go to do that, and then we naturally assume that we, that, oh, well, they had this life because of what I see. You could look and say, well, he's tall, straight, white, American male. He's had this kind of life because of my prejudices, my stereotypes, because of the image I have built up around this this version of a human. Likewise, I could do it the same thing. You know, you could see a short, black, lesbian, um, you know, I don't know, um, African um, male, female, whatever, like whatever the opposite of T-SWAMs would be. If I could brain, I'm still telling you, I'm not feeling great. If my brain was moving that fast, but I could come up with the opposite and I could just naturally inject my stereotypes and my rationale around what kind of life they may or may not have. Here's what we really want to be monitoring. When you start to say things like, well, you know, they are, they are this, so therefore they have this. We you're doing is you're you're first you're you're naturally assuming you have any idea about what's going on in their life. You're assuming you know what their life is from your point of view. You think your map of the world is everybody's map, or that your culture's map is is accurate to try to tell me what I've experienced. Right? I've experienced whatever I've experienced. 
And so to, to say, well, if I did it, so can you, or well, you know, I did this and I'm blank, 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 and blank, and you're a tall, straight, white American male, so what the hell's your problem? Is to undermine and actually devalue somebody else's life and life experiences as if anything that possibly could have happened to them would have been negated or alleviated simply because I'm tall, straight, white, and American male, right? Mom, you know, mom and dad moving us away from the family at four, mom getting Crohn's at eight, moving from house to house and city to city every year, dad being a workaholic and, you know, not coming home till 8 p.m. and leaving the house again at 5 a.m., right? I mean, that's a brief snippet of some of the things I remember from my childhood. And some of them were adverse childhood experiences that have left me with a certain level of trauma, a certain level of isolation, some sort of undesirable emotion or thought. And some of them, you know, with dad working as much as he did, he showed his love with receipts. So from 84 to 94, we lived pretty well. Our Christmas t- tree was pretty obnoxious for those 10 years. You know, the um, I was born in 76, so the eight years leading up to 84 were crap. And certainly after 94, when the parents divorced, the next 22 years was just me drinking myself to death until I got sober at 40. I wouldn't say that that was all too privileged, but certainly for those 10 years, we did live pretty well, but it didn't doesn't take away from the fact that my mom's colostomy bag broke on regular occasions, like a couple times a week, and there would be fecal matter all over her bed or all over the house or all over the shopping mall we were at. It doesn't, you know, doesn't underpin the fact that dad was never there to throw the football with me or to come to my school plays. Like there was a lot of things that I look back at, they weren't all that thrilling. Great. I had tons of video games. You know what I spent my Saturday afternoons doing in the backyard? throwing a football up really, really high so that I could chase out underneath it and catch it because there was no one around to throw the football with. Now, some of you may go, boo-hoo-hoo, you know, at least you had a football, or boo-hoo-hoo, at least you weren't living in a crime-ridden neighborhood. Boo-hoo-hoo, at least, you know, you had a nice house with a dad and mom who were around. And I'm not going to negate any of those things that you just said. I can simultaneously feel gratitude for the things I had and humbled by the things that happened to me. And I can have integrity by standing strong in those and saying, I did what I could do with the resources I had at the time. And when we go around and we say things like, well, others have had it worse, so what are you complaining about? We're negating our own life. We're, we're negating somebody else's life as if their life has so little value because they were born tall, straight, white American male that what, are, what could I possibly have to complain about? You know how many people would love to be a tall, straight, white American male? I no idea what number that would be, but considering that there are a lot of countries on this planet who aren't doing all that well, and likewise, I'm sure plenty of countries that could look from the outside in and say, the United States ain't doing that well either, and maybe there are people out there who would love to be a T-SWAM, and maybe there's some who are like, hell no, I am more than content with who I am. That's part of this bigger picture that I don't think is getting discussed in a healthy way at our institutions of higher learning like the one you are currently assigned to, the one you have chosen to go to. Looking at someone and looking at their clothes and looking at, and, and listening to the way they talk and, and the things that they have and the experiences they've had and then just making a blanket judgment statement about that person is negating a myriad of things, a ton of stuff that you have no idea about. If someone were to say, well, tell me about some of the hardships you've had in your life, I'd like, like I keep a running list at the top of my head. 
I don't honestly know. I can remember that, you know, most of them as a child were surrounded by the colostomy bag breaking in very inopportune places and dealing with helping my mom clean herself up while simultaneously the embarrassment of everybody around realizing that this person just pooped down their leg and probably not even realizing that she had a colostomy bag. So it wasn't like she was just like, I think I'll do this now. It's literally just what was happening because a medical device failed. Now, do I want empathy and sympathy and compassion for that? No, that's not why we're discussing this stuff. We're discussing this because I believe that as a whole, as a worldwide society, we are negating other people's lived experiences based on a judgment value we have put upon who we think they are, we what we think their background is, what we think they may or may not have based on their race, their their ethnicity, their cultural upbringing, their socioeconomic stance in the world, what they wear, what they drive, what they do. We slap all these labels, all these different adjectives, just like the news stations do. You know, maybe the news station could have said, a uh, politician thoughtfully proposes law to House floor versus a uh, politician quickly rushes bill to House floor, right? I mean, either way, it's adjectives from both sides, but they're not adjectives that were necessary. And when we start to dive into this idea of whether it's white privilege, Asian privilege, how many times I hear people, they'll be like, you know, you'll, you'll be describing somebody who's like an engineer at NASA or something, because I live in Huntsville, so there's a lot of very engineery, smarty pants people here. So many times. Uh, something, and I mean, I hear a lot of these conversations just sort of like I'm in the zone of them, but not actually in them. And they'll be like, oh, are they Asian? Are they African? Oh, you know, are they J- Japanese? Are they Chinese? Oh, you know, oh, they went to Harvard. Are they go to Yale, Stanford? It's like, can't person just can't be a real smarty pants engineer who does awesome stuff. It's like, no, we got to figure out the subset they belong to to justify why this person has figured out a way to create rockets that can launch and then land on a, on a, pad in the middle of the ocean. It can't just be enough that this person was hardworking and smart and knows how to do really cool math and figured this stuff out. No, 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 no. It's Surely it's got to be because of their race or their ethnicity or their cultural upbringing or the fact that they had a tiger mom versus uh, you know, a, a latchkey kid. You can't just be excited for the fact that this human being has figured out some super complex problem that is now an amazing solution for humanity. No, 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 no. No, let's not just celebrate that. Let's make sure that we figure out what subset they belong to so we can rationalize why they achieved that and what you didn't. I didn't. I no interest in figuring out how rockets launch and land on pads in the middle of the ocean. I have zero interest in knowing. <laughs> I'll listen to somebody talk about it. I'll absolutely watch a 20-minute YouTube video about it to get a general idea of it. But if you're like, hey, you want to sit down with this pen and a pad and get in your lab and figure out how to do it, zero chance I want to sign up for that. I don't care if a million dollars came at the end of it because it's going to take a hell of a long time for me to figure that out. Do I want to dedicate years of my life for that? There's a lot of other things I would rather spend my time doing. And that's where we get in this lockstep with, oh, well, money means happiness. Money means I've achieved things. Money means I can now be feel proud to be white or black or Asian or African or whatever it might be. And what we're doing is we're finding ourselves sort of locked into this mindset that if we're not making a ton of money, we don't have the right things, we don't have the right background, then we're undeserving or others are undeserving. And that's, that, that is absolutely illogical. 
to try to dictate what somebody deserves or doesn't deserve based on the color of their skin or their sexual orientation or their religious preference. It's, it, it seems to me, it boggles the mind. It literally baffles me that we are still locked into this almost like a primitive mindset around this stuff, considering how advanced we are. And I realize that just because we have smartphones in our pocket and a ton of technology in our head and information at at our fingertips doesn't just naturally mean that we are ready to be this super high-level advanced species. In fact, I think we've grown a little too big for our britches. And I don't want this to turn into a soapbox. I, what I want to do is I want, I want to really bring to the forefront of your mind how some of your preconceived notions about what somebody has or have, has had or has not had in their life based on you know, all the different ways we have figured out how to subset the human species, your country, your, your, again, your cult, culture, your color, all of these things, they mean nothing. They mean nothing until we decide to attach a meaning to them. You know, MLK, Martin Luther King Jr. said, do not judge me by the the color of my skin, but the content of my character. And I mean, hooray. And we're still not doing it, regardless of whether I find you in the United States or, you know, I mean, I got a ton of listeners from Iran. um, And, you know, what I think is super impressive is what's going on over there um, in order to fight against what they no longer desire in their lives with the government and the the authoritarianism and whatnot. And I think it's such an amazing achievement to be able to stand up against something that you don't believe should be ruling your life anymore and also realizing that there's a pretty heavy-handed consequences that come from that. And if you've been watching anything on the news about that, it's, it's not exactly... They're not being met with open arms by the government. Let's just put it that way. And yet here we are in the United States or you know anywhere that would be considered Western civilization on this planet. And we have fairly a, a broad, we have a very broad stretch of what was considered acceptable behavior. Now, certainly in the United States, we seem to be very much into cancel culture right now. Heaven forbid somebody sneeze the wrong way, say something the wrong way. We don't even want to hear their apology. Nope, you said it. You believe it. It's who you are. You're toxic. We got to cancel you. When we do this, we are not really attempting to connect with anyone. We are hearing people, but we're not actually listening. We're actively trying to make somebody feel bad or guilty for having their own feelings, for having their own thoughts about their own life or the lived experiences they've had or what they are noticing happening. When we minimize somebody else's lived experience, we cut off any opportunity to connect with them. Worst, worst of all, when people are like, oh, well, you're, you're a T-SWAM, so your life's been amazing, right? It's, you didn't have to go through this, and you didn't have to go through that, and you didn't have to go through this. So am I supposed to feel guilty that I didn't have to go through things? So now should I be wishing my life were harder so I could be more proud of who I've become? Because that doesn't, like, logically, that doesn't make sense. I don't know how to even begin to have a conversation about that. Now I've got to feel sad or bad or guilty for not going through things, but I don't get it. Like, 
should you feel sad or bad or guilty that your mother didn't poop in a plastic bag glued to her hip and have to have over 30 surgeries over the course of your childhood? Like, that's illogical. And then it even if we go even higher, like we were talking last week with this idea of chunking up, down, left, right, lateral, and all that, if we chunk it up even higher and we start to look at it, when people are like, well, you've had that life, but my life was way worse. My wife, my life was way harder, and look what I've achieved. So now we have people who think that their life and what they've done is the bar at which the rest of us should be reaching for, completely minimizing anything that somebody else has gone through. And we expect there to be a connection in our society. We expect for people to be able to connect with other people on this planet. I absolutely agree that we have a lot of food in this country. It doesn't mean everybody's going to sleep full, but certainly there is a lot of food in this country. There's a lot of stores locking their doors each night with a ton of food on their shelves. does not mean that we don't have people going to bed hungry. But certainly, compared to some other countries, when I've heard about the kind of food rationing that they have to do, certainly... The United States of America is very well off when it comes to the ability to a- obtain food. doesn't mean that everybody can afford it, but certainly there's a lot of food to go around. But saying that, oh, well, you know, you, had so mu- you have it so much better because you have food all over the place, and meanwhile, we're waiting in bread lines, or meanwhile, we have to ration our meat because we only get so much of it every month. I'm not saying that that doesn't suck. I'm not saying that that's not probably a difficult way to go about about life, to have to be constantly rationing off your food. But just assume that because I've got a ton of food in my fridge, that everything else is hunky-dory, again, is minimizing other things that can be happening to us, other things that could be happening to me. We all have emotions, we, and these are attached to thoughts. We understand sadness and guilt and shame and being afraid and isolated and loneliness and rejection. We've all felt these in some way or another. Different forms, different ways, different outcomes have, have come about to, to evoke these emotions in us. But at some point, every single human is going to feel guilt and shame and sadness and fear and isolation and loneliness and rejection. Now, what brings about that? What sparks that within us? Yes, absolutely. It's going to be different circumstances, different events. But your trauma is your trauma. My trauma is my trauma. And the desire for everybody to be able to, as a unified like human species, everybody to embrace their own lived experiences, their own traumas, and for me to allow you the space to have your version of trauma and for you to allow me the space for me to have my version of trauma and for us to be able to embrace that we're all in this together, that we're all part of the human experience. Right? This is validating other people. Your emotions and trauma is just as valid as mine. If you minimize it, then how are others ever going to know uh, better than to do that to you as well? So you minimize mine, I'm I'm naturally going to feel inclined to minimize yours. Now, neither one of us are connecting, and in fact, we're probably arguing. And it's even worse. It's even worse when you minimize your own trauma. Oh, well, you know... My dad wasn't around a lot. and My mom was dying of a disease. But I mean, hey, at least I wasn't like those starving children in inter-country name here, 
when I was a kid, it was starving children in China. Then it was funny as I met somebody from China who was a child in the 80s like I was, and they said that their parents used to tell them, eat up, there are starving kids in America. So everybody had some starving kids, but for some reason, I was made to feel guilty as a seven-year-old for not eating all of my broccoli because some faceless person in another country 10,000 miles away might be going to bed hungry that night. I was just freaking full. How about you guys stop putting your portion size on my plate? I'm seven, you're 30. (laughs) My stomach doesn't want that much food. When we start to think about what the language that we're using, when we say things like, oh, well, you're privileged, you've had it better than me. Oh, when I was a kid, I had it way worse than you. Oh, well, your childhood was awesome. What you grew up in a, a you you had the nuclear family. You had the Norman Rockwell or Thanksgivings. You had the dog and the cat and the white picket fence. Oh well, I lived in you know I lived in the, on the wrong side of the tracks and there was graffiti and drugs being dealt in my front yard. So clearly my life was way worse than yours. Okay, in the regard in in regards to how you just decided to paint the picture, yeah. I would say that living in a violent neighborhood versus the white picket fence neighborhood, yeah, no right-minded person is going to say, yeah, please let me live in the neighborhood where people are shooting each other and dealing drugs on the street right in front of my home versus living in the white picket fence where everybody's walking, you know, walking their baby carriages down the street after dinner and waving to one another while they all walk their golden retrievers. Yes, I'm not stupid. Most people are going to take the golden retriever life over the ghetto life any day. But when you paint it as that's it, Well, because this was what I lived in, and that's what you lived in. Your life was hunky-dory. What the hell are you bitching about? Is negating all the other things that could come into play. Yes, I'm not blind to the fact that I'm much happier to have lived in Golden Retriever White Picket Fence land than than drugs being dealt on the street and crime in in my neighborhood land. I'm not a dummy-ass. I totally get that. But to assume that anybody has privilege just simply based off of those... That was that nice little world you just created, that those parameters you just laid down, is to negate any possible thing else. What if they're like, yeah, you're right, I had the white picket fence, but man, you know, you know, grandpa died of alcoholism and uncle committed suicide, mom got cancer, and you know, oh that 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 golden retriever that you think I love so much, yeah, died, you know, of, of feline leukemia when it was four, like Okay, I get dogs probably don't die of cat leukemia, but the point is is that we we create this box, we create these parameters where we say your life was better or worse than mine based off of these parameters. And there are infinite parameters that will dictate how somebody has lived their life in order to become the person they are that is standing in front of you right now. We can choose empathy this ability to understand and share in the feelings of another person. We can choose compassion, this sympathetic concern for the sufferings and misfortunes of others. We can be sympathetic and this, these feelings of sorrow for someone else's misfortunes, understanding uh, between people that there's common feelings that we've all shared. These common feelings of guilt, shame, sadness, fear, isolation, loneliness, rejection. We can sympathize with another human because we've all felt these things as well. We can empathize with them because in some way or another, we've all felt the cold, hard slap of loneliness and rejection. 
We can feel compassionate and have concerns for the, for the misfortunes and the sufferings of other people. And it doesn't have to minimize the life you've led. Trying to make somebody feel guilty for things that have not happened to them just blows my mind. I don't want to use words like asinine or ridiculous, but at the same time, like to make someone feel guilty for not having had to go through something does doesn't make any sense. It's almost like you're what you're wishing bad things upon other people. You know, it'd be like the people in Fort Myers, you know, calling up the people in Daytona Beach being like, wow, don't you guys got it better than us because you didn't just get destroyed by this hurricane. And Daytona's like, yeah, where were you three years ago when the other hurricane destroyed us and you guys were over there sipping pina coladas? Boy, I really wish you the guys would have gotten destroyed by this hurricane too so you could understand the suffering we're going through. That doesn't make any sense. Why would I want to wish hardships upon somebody else? I would prefer that I didn't have to go through them. I would prefer you did not have to go through some of the hardships and traumas and sufferings that you did. I'd prefer we lived in a world where everybody could just freaking sing Kumbaya, realize there's plenty of space on this planet for everyone to succeed, for us to stop thinking we can legislate away racism and hateism and all the other isms that exist and realize the only thing that really is going to break down the isms into such small little tiny microscopic things that they barely that we barely even know that they exist in our society anymore is our ability as humans to communicate with one another in a loving meaningful vulnerable way where we can share what we've experienced in life releasing any kind of judgment or or levels of value and principles that the other person may think that we didn't adhere to and we can just be ourselves and be like this is what I went through this, I'm just telling you my lived experience. Because if I go to share that, it's like, well, this is what I went through. And then your first response back is, oh, yeah? Well, listen to my doozy. Then we're just doing tit for tat. And we've already been trying that for thousands of years. We have tried the tit for tat. How about we try it a different way? Instead of saying something like, well, if I did it, so can you. We could we could shift that to, well, this, well I was able to accomplish this. Let me explain to you what I did. Or, hey, I was able to do this. Would you like a couple pointers I learned along the way? Or, hey, I had this kind of childhood. I would love for us to be able to share some of the hardships that we went through as children that have made us stronger today. Yes, gun violence in the streets versus mom dying of Crohn's. I mean, one's not, you know, you didn't have to leave your house. I didn't have to leave my house afraid a stray bullet was going to kill me or my sister or our dog or somebody else in my family. But I certainly had my own version of hardships because of Crohn's disease, because of a workaholic father, because of the isolation that we felt moving around all the time and not being anywhere near family. I had my own adverse childhood experiences just like you did. We talked about this in 157 for a reason. There's there's these adverse childhood experiences. There's these archetypes of who we be, why we became who we became. And if we can't stop arguing and start listening and start loving one another, right? If we can't release these stigmatizing language patterns that we have somehow for some reason decided to embrace wholeheartedly as fact, then we're going to continuously try to walk across a bridge that has not been built. And in some cases might already be on fire. There is no reason for us to lay judgment and blame towards somebody else for not having had to have gone through something similar to ours and then somehow thinking that their life is better or, or were better because we went through that. 
It's illogical. And I get that a lot of these statements are made out of the emotional realm, right? Where we're, we're dealing with that, with that emotional ghetto, that amygdala of the brain, right? Where, where the ego and the, and the id and the superego live. It's this, all these different emotions are going on. But whenever somebody tells you their story, their part of their lived experience, and your first response is to want to say, oh, yeah, well, this is what happened to me. Or when somebody says, you know, I really wish I would love to have gotten a better grade, but, you know, I just, yeah, I just, you know, there's a lot going on in my family, and I just wasn't able to concentrate. And your response is, well, I have a lot going on, this, 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 and this, and I got an A, so what's your problem? You are negating that other person's lived experience. You are somehow thinking that your life is the bar for which we should all be trying to reach and sit upon. That, that feels gross. It feels grimy. It feels like the number one reason why we're not connecting as a, as a worldwide citizenry is because we somehow think that what we've gone through is worse or better than what somebody else has gone through. And now, we're, now we either want to make them feel bad for what didn't happen to them, or we want to make ourselves better for what we've overcome. And when we do these things, we do not connect with others. We do not actually listen to them. We might hear what they're saying. We might hear words coming out of their mouth. But we're not actually listening to what is being said. And the problem with that is that by not actually listening, we are just blah, 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 blahing to one another. And nothing of actual merit is coming out. Real connection, real love, real gratitude. These things are being missed. And you are literally living in a world. Right now, whether you are a traditional student or a non-traditional student, you are assigned somewhere into the college ranks. You have some sort of connection, whether you're a student or you're a faculty or you're a family member. These people, you are going to an institution of higher learning. It is on the cutting edge of of the shifts in society have, have happened at universities all the way back to when Galileo and Raphael and Donatello and Donatello, I mean, where, you know, all the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles were, were being Renaissance people. The university system was where great minds went to shift society and you are there. You are in it. Be a part of the solution. Notice where, where privilege and, um, and stigmatizing language patterns are being set around you or you are using them and figure out a different way to connect with someone. It's only the rest of the world and human existence that's relying upon this. No pressure. (laughs) All right, my friends, inclusivity over exclusivity. And really, listen to that when I say it. Inclusivity. Be inclusive. Invite others in. You might feel a negative or undesirable charge, but when that happens, it's your unconscious mind saying something's important is happening right now. Pay attention. And then step up and be the person you want everybody else around you to be. You be their guiding light. Inclusivity over exclusivity, the power of positive energy, release and flow. As always, my friends, be splendid. I'll see you next week. Bye-bye. 